And now, if you do have uh, the scriptures with you, please uh, turn with me to uh, Psalm 29. Now, it's a psalm that we will have uh, heard before because it's got some repetitive lines within it, but these lines, I hope, will be a help and a blessing to us. So we read Psalm 29, starting at verse 1. There's only 11 verses in total. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Uh, Do you see how all these different words from the Psalms, which appear in songs and other things that we know of, and there's another one, the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Speaking of creation. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple... Everyone says glory, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And don't we need peace in our world today and in our lives? Pete, let's sing our uh, next hymn, and then we'll come and look at these words together. And uh, we're going to stand and sing glorious things of thee are spoken. Let's stand.
And it was good to sing the last uh, hymn, uh, last verse there. So I remember um, hearing my parents talking about uh, uh, General Franco. Now, some of you may have absolutely no idea who General Franco was. I think his name was Francisco Franco. And basically, he was a dictator who ran Spain uh, during the course of the Second World War, right up, I think, to about 1975. Uh, General Franco was in power in Spain, and the one thing that marked his rule, two things actually, one was his cruelty, I think around 400,000 people died in concentration camps, uh, were treated very, very badly, and the other group of people that he really couldn't stand were those that were described as evangelical in their minding. So friends, we'd have had a spot of bother if we were meeting in Franco's Spain at this particular moment. Um, he didn't like people who described themselves as born-again Christians. He liked the safe religion of Catholicism and a very particular sort of Catholicism that was practiced in Spain. In fact, Franco's regime often used uh, religion as a means of increasing its popularity, as a way of cementing its position in Spain. Now, the reason I'm telling you this will become certain in just a moment. But the interesting thing is that my father had a friend called Eddie. And Eddie uh, married a Spanish girl, and she was the daughter of uh, the man who was the president of the Baptist Union of Churches during Franco's uh, reign, during the era of uh, Francisco Franco. And uh, I can remember her telling my father and my mum and our family when we went to Spain, it was always nice having people that had holidays or, or, or homes in nice holiday places. And the Costa del Sol in Spain is a beautiful place to go and it was always uh, uh, great when, uh, when Eddie and Esther, his wife, invited us as a family to go and stay and my father would speak in the church for the English services that they had during uh, the time that we were there. And I remember them speaking and some of the things that Esther spoke about as a little girl to remember the way that her father would be, there'd be a knock at the door. You know, heart would sink. Uh, and Franco's secret police would come and take the father away, uh, rough him up a little bit, threaten him, all because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a determination to stamp out these people. Why? What is it that causes an offense? Well, it's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, I heard the account uh, as they were talking of a lady in one of the churches um, who was really, really very evangelical. She loved and couldn't stop telling people about her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And every opportunity she had, if Franco was coming, she would go and she would shout various things to him as he was coming through the street. She would write letters to him weekly. She'd even try and phone him up. Anything to try and grab his attention because she believed that the Lord wanted her to be able to speak the gospel, the good news, the gospel of peace to a man who could only be described as a tyrant executed or caused the death of around 400,000 people during the 36 years that he was in charge of Spain. And eventually, Francesco Franco got completely fed up with this lady. He had her rounded up, taken to court. She was sentenced, or she was charged rather, and the charge read something like this. Sentenced for not being able to, to stop talking about her faith in Jesus Christ. Now, 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if a few of us could be rounded up for a similar for a similar charge. Couldn't stop talking about her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It meant everything to her. And uh, when she was sentenced, there was a caveat that was placed. And that was that she had to spend the first month of her incarceration in solitary confinement. She was to have nobody to talk to. And guess what she said as the sentence was was read out? Now... I can be alone with my Lord Jesus. Now I can be alone with him. The Apostle John must have experienced similar sorts of emotions. The Apostle John wrote John's Gospel and then three little letters towards the end of the New Testament and finally the book of the Revelation. As a disciple, he was the youngest. He was a pastor, pastored churches, He outlived the other 11. However, he was spending the last of his days imprisoned on a small island called Patmos in the middle of the Aegean Sea. I just have to warn you here, it was not a Mediterranean holiday destination. It was a volcanic rock. It was a penal colony. There were no sun lounges on the beach. It wasn't a holiday. There were no luxuries of any description. It was hard work. It was a small volcanic mountain. And John was alone. And as he was on this island, he grew accustomed to the sound of the sea crashing on the rocks. But John was not downcast. And it was on this rock that God revealed insights to John of what was going to happen into the future, way into the future. And it was on this rock that God gave John the visions that he had and the words that were given to him for the book of the Revelation, which we have and which is contained in the Scriptures for us. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, John is told, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And John simply had to listen to the voice of God and to write down faithfully what he was commanded to write down. And as he did, he likened the voice of God to the sound of many waters. Probably the only thing he could hear at night, during the day. When there was quiet, the sea was still beating against the rocks of the island on which he was. Of course, John was familiar with the sound of these many waters as he listened to the sea crashing. And he was also familiar with the voice of God. Now, some of us this evening have never heard the voice of God speak to them personally. There are others of us here this evening who have heard God speak to them and continue to hear him speak to them regularly throughout the day. They wake up in the morning. And the first thing they do is speak and commune with their Lord because he means everything to them. And they hear him speaking. 
And they listen and they're looking to hear the voice of God speaking to them. In Psalm 29, the psalmist uses the term the voice of the Lord seven times. And as we know, uh, those of us who have been brought up in church, we've often heard about the sevens that there are in the scriptures. Uh, We know it's a holy number. And we recognize that quite often things are presented in this way. You see, God is speaking in this psalm. And the first lesson we have is that God has always been speaking. He has been speaking throughout the millennia. He speaks to us each and every day. If you go right back to the beginning, it was God's voice that spoke the world and it was created. There was nothing. And then God spoke. And friends, there was everything. It was just the sound of God's voice. And then God said, Adam knew the voice of the Lord God, but Adam also just knew the sound of the Lord God. Genesis 3 verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? They just heard the sound. And they knew straight away it was God. And they wanted to meet with him and they were looking forward to it until that dreadful day came. But they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. Friends, if you've never heard the sound of God, it's because you're not listening. God is speaking, but are we listening? God speaks to us all around us, and we'll see this in just a moment, and in many different ways, but are we listening to him speaking to us? And then in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9, we read this. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? He didn't shout. He didn't scream at him. Because he knew that Adam could hear what he was saying. And he just simply said, Adam, where are you? How does Adam reply? He says, I hid from you. Why did you hide? Because I was afraid. There are many ways that God is calling out to us today. There are many ways that we hear the voice of the Lord. And the first one is we're here in Genesis is the fact that God's voice is a creative voice. We've already touched on the fact that God spoke to nothing, and out of nothing created everything. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, the things that we see and feel and touch and have around us were made from things that were invisible, that couldn't be felt, couldn't be touched. You see, if you're prepared to listen, then God is speaking. And he is speaking in the fact that there is creation all around us. 
You can't miss it. So people say to me, God never speaks to me. But he does. As you walk outside, as you see the creation around us, as you feel the wind blowing in your face, the sun shining on your back, the trees rustling around you, the flowers. Haven't you noticed just how incredible flowers are? That they're just unbelievable. And God is speaking. And he's calling to you. But you say to me, men and women can create things. <laughs> yes, they create things. Usually they create messes. And more problems. And more difficulties. But it's true, we can create things. And do you know what? We can create some beautiful things. Some amazing things. But we can't create something from nothing. We're clever, but we're not creators. But God takes nothing. That's nothing in there. And he makes something brand new out of it. We also see this in the way that God takes and... You remember Adrian spoke of this last Sunday evening and we spoke about it briefly this morning. God takes nobody and makes somebody out of them. God took a tinker and he made him into a great author, preacher, John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. God transformed a cobbler into William Carey, the founder of English missions. When God spoke to a woman called Gladys Aylward, I mean Gladys Aylward, you know, could have had a Different name, couldn't she? Gladys Aylward. And when God got hold of her, made her into one of the greatest missionaries to reach China. And there are churches and there are, there are mission works that are taking place in China today as a result of the work of Gladys Aylward, who wasn't educated. She was a maid to a rich family. But when God spoke to her, she became a great missionary to China. Friends, God is speaking to you in creation. God can take hold of nothing and create something. God can take hold of you and me, you know, rough around the edges, not very clever, sometimes not very nice people. But when God takes hold of us, he changes us when we allow him to do that. And then a miracle takes place. He uses us, brings the gospel to people as a result. And we see great blessing in our lives. Friends, God is speaking to you in creation, but are you listening? You can't miss it. The voice of the Lord is a creative voice. And secondly, it's a commanding voice. Now, you just may not realize this. Perhaps you just don't want to understand this. But God's blessing on our lives and on our nation comes through obedience to his commands. Now I know the word obedience is one we just don't want to have anything to do with these days. It's not something we're particularly interested. But that's what it is. It's a shock. It's a revelation to many of us because we just don't want to obey anybody. And obeying God is certainly something 
that we don't want to do, if we did, what would it mean? It would mean a change of everything. Suddenly all the things that we feel we've got control of in our lives, we're going to say, I can't hand that over to God. But that is what he's calling us to do. A commanding voice. It would mean putting God first in our lives. It would mean thinking better of other people. Caring for others. Loving others. Helping others. It would mean a total change of heart. And we just don't want to do that. And again, in Genesis, this time chapter 22, verse 18, God is speaking to Abraham and he says, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There's blessing when we obey the voice of God. God gave us ten commandments that reveal his character to us. But it's not only God's character that is revealed, it is our character that is revealed as well. These Ten Commandments were given because they concern first our relationship to God and secondly our relationship to other people. You see, God's authority and power is absolute. He therefore has the right to speak to us and he has the right to be heard by us and to be obeyed by us. A commanding voice a voice of authority. But the voice of God is also a convicting voice. Again, that's another of those words that we don't really like to hear about. Who wants to be convicted? Convicted of our behavior. The things that we say, we've upset someone. And that sense of guilt and conviction is running in our hearts and in our lives. We don't like it, but it's there. So having created all things and commanded all people, one of the very first words that the Lord spoke to his creation, to Adam and Eve, was to convict them of disobedience. Satan had come into the Garden of Eden. Satan came in and what was he doing? He was questioning and that's how he speaks to us so often in our lives. He questions things and we begin to think to ourselves, well, you know, is it, does God really want me to live this way? And then he began adding to things that had been said by God. And then he began taking away from things that had been said by God. And he began changing the things that God had said. You see, men and women are made so intricately in the image of God that the tiniest change, the smallest alteration to us, the least little flaw that comes in would change me or you into something terrible. The image of the devil. That's the reality of what we're talking about here. Far from becoming like gods as the devil had promised they would, Adam and Eve, after their sinful disobedience, Adam and Eve sought to run away and to hide. But God tenderly and compassionately speaks to them. Where are you? Where are you? Yes, convicting words where are you? And despite their excuses, how deeply ashamed these first humans must have felt. They hid from God. Their intimacy with God was gone. Theirs was a paradise lost, taken away, broken, destroyed. And God asks the same question of you. Where are you? Where are you? I'm calling. You're hiding. 
Does he know where you are? Of course he knows where you are. But he knows why you're hiding, and you know why you're hiding. What a question. And God right now is speaking the same question to you. Where are you? He is gently convicting you. But we soon find that God's voice is a converting voice. God is an evangelist. He is. All the way through, there has been that evangelicalism that has come through and he calls people and he presents the truth to them. You see, he never leaves us without hope. Why? Because his voice always speaks of redemption. Friends, whilst you may not understand this, God delights to demonstrate his power by turning people from their sinful ways to him. And he continues to do this. The doctor diagnoses an illness before he brings about a cure. You need to know what's wrong before you start giving people drugs. Do you know, it strikes me today that sometimes doctors seem to just say, well, you know, try a few of these, see if it works. But that's not the way God deals with us. He knows what the problem in our hearts and lives is. He knows it's sin and he knows what has to be prescribed to deal with that. So God convicts us of our sin. But he does not leave us sinking in a mire of guilt, a mire of shame. He brings us to a place of forgiveness. He gives us a new life. We're born again. Where? In himself. The one place that we are kept safe in Jesus. Now we're going to sing the hymn in uh, just a few moments. I heard the voice of Jesus say, but listen to the verse. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Have you heard the voice of Jesus saying that to you? Come unto me and rest. Lay down thy weary one. Lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was. There's nothing we can do. Weary and worn and sad, I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Have you heard the converting voice of God as he appeals to you, as he calls you to trust his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your savior? And that leads us to the fact that God's voice is a calling voice. This evening, God is calling to you. He is. And if you're prepared to listen, you will hear him. doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. If you're prepared to listen, you will hear him. You can try to stick your fingers in your ears. You can try to drown out the voice of God with the music of this world. All the noise and the chatter and everything else that goes on. You can run. And you can keep on running. Sometimes people run right the way around the earth to another continent to get away from the voice of God calling to them. And yet when the plane lands or the ship docks, there he is. And he continues to call to them. And to speak to them. Because you're not able to outrun him. And to get far enough away from him. So that you no longer hear his voice calling to you. 
John in Revelation 3.20 pens these words. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The good news of the gospel is that God calls and speaks to us individually. And tonight, if you're prepared to listen, you will hear him calling to you. Because he's got his eye on you. He loves you. And he wants you. The good news of the gospel is that God calls and speaks to us individually. Amazingly, the voice of the Lord is also a calming voice. And in our world today, wow, don't we need to be calmed? Everything's going wrong. Families about to explode or implode, depending on how you look at it. We can be suffering. We can feel that nobody in the world cares for us. Nobody loves us. We're alone. He was just 21 years old. Friend of a friend in England. Their son. And they go into his bedroom one day. And they find him hanging. He'd taken his own life. And he left a note for his parents. And the note simply said, no one cares. That was it. Could you imagine what those parents felt? No one cares. You see, the thing that many people do not realize is that the voice of God is a calming voice. Sometimes they get this strange idea that God is angry with them. He's not. He wants you. He loves you. And he keeps calling you. The voice of God calms you. It doesn't matter whether you're in turmoil. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It could be physical. It could be mental. It could be psychological. It could be spiritual. It doesn't matter what it is. Because God is in the business of calming troubled hearts. And as he speaks to you, to soothe the hurt and pain that you feel as he pours his healing balm into your wounds, his voice is a calming voice. Whatever you need, he lovingly appeals to you in his strength and caring. The voice of God is also coming you possibly have never considered this. But the final chapters of world history is not going to be written by politicians. It's not going to be Mr. Putin or Zelensky or van der Leyen, who runs the European Union at the moment, or, or, or Justin Trudeau. I think I know what he does, but it's not going to be him. It's not going to be some crazy man who presses a button that says, do not press this button, and a world war starts as nuclear warheads start flying around. There is coming a day when the voice of God will be heard above the clamor of many other voices crying for attention today. Joel 3 verse 16, the Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice 
from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. The Apostle Paul wrote, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. You see, those who have ignored God throughout their lives will one day have to hear and listen to the clear voice of God speaking to them. In fact, even the dead, we're told in the scriptures, will hear his voice. One day, all of creation will hear God's roar again. Finally, God's voice is the voice of Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the living word. You see, all that God says is bound up in knowing Jesus Christ. The voice of Jesus is a creative voice. Jesus was there at the beginning. And as Jesus gave thanks and broke the bread when he fed the 5,000, there was food left over. Jesus' voice is a creating voice. Jesus' voice is a commanding voice. He summed up the law and commanded that we love God and our neighbors. Jesus Christ convicts us. Whilst Jesus was never easy on sin, his desire was also to always to bring individuals to a place of humble repentance and to trust in his salvation. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that it might be saved through him. And of course, the Son of God converts both the self-sufficient and the deliberately sinful. The woman of the well, she needed Christ. And she received Christ. And as she received Christ, she was able to go back into the town and she spoke her testimony. And we're told in the scriptures that many people believed because of her testimony. In other words, what had taken place in her life changed their lives as they saw that and came to the Savior. Nicodemus needed Christ. He came in the night. And the reason he came was because he needed Jesus. The voice of Jesus speaks with converting power. Of course Jesus calls. Some of his first recorded words were, come and follow me, come and follow me. And the question we also ask this evening, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Christ's voice calmed the troubled sea and brought tranquility even to the demon possessed who lived among the tombs. But lastly, the voice of Jesus is an expectant voice. Jesus is waiting for you. All the voices we have heard tonight were brought together at the cross. You see, the work of creation was suspended by the act of recreation that Christ was working on the cross. Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, meaning that his work of dying for the sin of the world was accomplished. And of course, it was because of this, his finished work, that Jesus was able to cry out on the cross, Father, forgive them, because he had completed the work on the cross. And now, Jesus calls us to follow him. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 reminds us that repentance leads to salvation. This evening, I urge you, repent. Repent of your sin. Turn to the Savior. Listen to him calling and talking and pleading with you. He loves you and he cares for you. He died for you. Stop running. Take your fingers out of your ears. 
listened and followed.